Welcome to Podcast 2, the sequel, the only show where two of Hollywood's top ghostwriters break the stories and the scripts for the biggest sequels in Hollywood today. I'm uh, Screenwriter A, my name's Sam, and here with me is my co-host, Screenwriter B. Hi, my name's Max. We are here with another sequel. We got a call from Warner Brothers from David Zaslov. Yeah, you know, it's October and everybody's looking for big new horror movies and because they think like, oh, well, Halloween comes every year. So we, we start it now, we'll get it ready next year. So what's he got? He's called us. He is looking for a proper sequel to The Exorcist. A proper um, sequel. Yeah, Blumhouse through Universal, just released the David Gordon Green film, Exorcist Believer. Um, it is not doing too well. The box office is not tracking well. The contract is forcing them to make a trilogy, even though this first one has a 40% on Rotten Tomatoes and just bombed in its first weekend. So they need the podcast to come in and create the first good sequel to The Exorcist ever. They've never done a good one before. Uh, now, I've only seen the original Exorcist, and it's pretty recently, actually, the first time I saw it. I know, I know, I know, I'm a fraud. Shocker, what can Sam I say? watched it last minute. No, God, I told you not to bring that up. Trying to <laughs> get a better reputation on this program for our audience. Uh, I, want, I want our audience to know that as, as one of Hollywood's top ghostwriters, I am a true connoisseur of cinema, and I watch, I'm, I'm wearing a movie shirt right now, I'm wearing a t-shirt that says Videodrome. Uh, some guy, kind of guy named David Cronenborg or something. Um, Max, I've only seen the first Exorcist. What what other Exorcist? How many more did they make after that? They made two more like sequels prior to the 2000s. Um, they made another one where Linda Blair came back as the daughter again a couple years later. But before we get into the sequels, for those of you that haven't seen William Friedkin's The Exorcist, the original one, um, pretty simple story, follows an actress in Washington, D.C., Georgetown, um, Washington, D.C., um, who is working on a movie. She's, like, not living in the house she normally lives in. She's there with her daughter. Her daughter starts acting a little weird after she starts playing with a Ouija board. She starts to get more and more clearly possessed by a demon. Like, the bed is shaking uncontrollably. She's... Her skin is starting to have gashes in it. Um, and by the midpoint of the movie, she has become so enmeshed with this demon that uh, medical professionals can no longer treat what's going on. No one knows what's going on. So they have to call in an exorcist. They have to call in priests to try to fight this demon a different type of way. And uh, yeah, so that's the exorcist. Sam, you just saw it for the first time. What'd you think? Yeah, you know, thinking about it, I think it's um, it's magnificently directed. Uh, like William Freakin clearly knows what he's fucking doing. Uh, and we were talking about how well it's edited. It is just uh, it's one of those movies that's edited that feels very modern, even from like it feels ahead of its time a little bit. Uh, yeah, very. I mean, it's very much of that like seventies like forward thinking um, sensibility, but it's like 
like they're making decisions like how you would do it now. Uh, it's great. Um, I guess my biggest issues with the movie would be script wise. And I think some of this is just that it's like, I'm coming to it with modern sensibilities. And some of it is like that I had to watch this for my, you know, job. And, you know, even when you're one of Hollywood's top ghostwriters, like work is work. And when I'm told by David Z to watch a movie and I'm like, okay, like I'm not going to enjoy it. Like if I went to the cinema on my own accord. Uh, but so like, to me, it felt like the movie, which came out first, this or Raiders of the Lost Ark? I, I'm guessing this. This came out way before Raiders. Wait, what year is this from? This is 73. So 1973. Yeah, I guess, to, I mean, it's. It, I'm bringing up Raiders of the Lost Ark purely because it opens up with like an excavation in Iraq that looks like that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark when they're doing an excavation. But um, I it, it felt to me like it was training me to watch a different movie in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And throughout it, it moves like a plot-based film. It has a lot of... It has a lot of characters that has a lot of like jumping around from plot point to plot point, And it feels like it's sort of about to coalesce into something to me. And again, this, I think this is coming from a more modern sensibility where I'm, you know, since 1973, we've had decades of like quote unquote screenplay formula evolve. And I think that we and our training as Hollywood's top ghostwriters have sort of been coaxed into this like offshoot of like the 80s style screenwriting formula when it's like then this happens then and then and you have the big battle with arnold schwarzenegger and then the movie ends and he kisses the girl and like this is older than that so it's like it doesn't it plays by a lot of the similar rules but it doesn't play by some of the yeah i think i've been thinking about recently somebody on twitter was talking about how in star wars um in the original star wars in the beginning of the movie, Luke is handed a lightsaber, and they have a whole scene about this lightsaber, and then he never uses that in the whole movie, and it's like sort of a refutation of Chekhov's gun, uh, which is a screenwriting principle about like if you introduce a gun in the beginning of a movie, yeah. someone has to use it. Anyway, all that to say, I'm looking at it with modern sensibilities, which might not be relevant, but to me, it felt like it didn't coalesce in anything. In the end, they call in Ma- Matt, like they do all this stuff with uh, who's the main priest character, the psychiatrist priest, Jason Miller. So Jason Miller's character, he's this psychiatrist priest who, like, they set up before he even gets involved in the main plot. We just have a lot of scenes with him around, and he has an arc with uh, his mother passing away and him feeling that he wasn't there for her. We don't really spend a lot of time with that relationship. Like, that seems to be the driving conflict for him, but we don't spend that much time with them together. Um... I mean, I challenge that it it, because what's interesting to me is I've been obsessed in terms of screenwriting stuff recently with the idea of like not just what makes us invest in a character, but what makes us invest in a relationship and when is that important to the story? So I guess to explain what I mean, I recently saw the new Gareth Edwards film, The Creator. And I promise this will be relevant in a second. Um, but the creator no, we're, we're opens... We tangents on this show. <laughs> the, the creator opens with John David Washington, like, in bed with his wife. Like, they're that she's pregnant. They're loving each other. They're, like, laughing in each other's arms for 45 seconds. And then, spoiler alert, there's a siege, and she dies. And the rest of the movie's about him. He finds out she might actually be alive, like, 10 minutes later like when it's five years in the future and the rest of the movie is about him trying to find her. And I found that the big issue with that film was like, I just did not care 
about his relationship with his wife that died. Like, obviously, don't want someone's wife to die, but just seeing them laugh in bed together for 45 seconds, it's like expecting me to be this empathy machine that just suddenly is like, he's got to have that back. But it's this complicated thing. What makes us actually invest in a relationship? So that's a long way of saying that, like, I don't think we need to care about his relation, about the priest's relationship to his mom. I think we need to understand the guilt that he feels for not being there when she needed him most. Because in the movie, she's like an elderly woman who lives by herself. Um, and because he is a priest that's assigned to a different city, he can't be there with her. And she has an accident where she gets put into like a state run nursing home and she dies in there because she's so sad. So he kind of blames himself for her death. Yeah, I guess for me it was maybe it's just because I have uh, holes in my brain, but I was like thrown off because like there's these scenes of him walking in New York. And, and what looks like New York, but I was like, oh, this is D.C. Oh, in the 70s, like, the D.C. trains looked close, more similar to New York's now. Uh, like, it wasn't clear to me he was in New York and that that was a travel room that he lives in D.C. And it's just, it's kind of, maybe it's one of the, and again, maybe I'm just not watching under the right circumstances. Maybe if I really sat in a theater instead of watching on my couch, I would have gotten it better. But I was like, he was just at his mom's house. Uh, what do you mean he can't get there? And it's just a lot of stuff happening that I you don't know. It's like national treasure type, like a little like text thing appears like and like it says like New York City. Yeah, like it would say like, like, he like a doesn't live shot. here. Yeah. Yeah. And if he could if they could explain where that is on the globe too. Um, maybe like some Indiana Jones style like maps. Um, mm -hmm. The film could have done what the creator did too and open with a dictionary definition of a word. It could open with like Dick New York City, a place, not where this character lives. What word does the creator open up with? I don't even remember. Creator, was, creation, a thing that was, is made. I walked out of the creator because I was just so bored. Um, yeah. But the visuals are good. Um, FX9, baby. That little camera. I think to return to this conversation, though, of like what makes us invest in a relationship, I was quite impressed with the 1973 Exorcist in that it does extremely strong work, in my opinion, of investing us in the mother's relationship with her daughter. Because the, the horror of this movie entirely rests in the simple idea of what if the person you loved most got possessed by a demon, by the devil, and, like, you have to fight the very person you love most in order to get it out. But, like, you're not, like, you're not fighting a demon. You're fighting the person you love because th it's inside of them. I know that sounds so simple, but, like, for that to work, we must care about her and her daughter's relationship. Not just her daughter, but their relationship. And... I was uh, talking to my partner about it while we were watching it. I think the smart thing that the film does is you can't real like what the creator does not do is it it shows you the relationship and expects you to just invest in said relationship because they're laughing and happy together. What The Exorcist does that's quite smart is it shows that she kind of doesn't have much else joy in her life. Like she's an actress in the movie. She's shooting a movie in D.C. She does not look happy at work. 
She looks kind of like empty and like it's just like another job. Um, she doesn't really have close relationships with anyone else. She's seeing this guy. We're kind of she's seeing the director of the movie. We hear we don't even ever really see that happening. And the only time we see her have joy, the only time her life seems to have meaning is when she has moments with her daughter. And they don't just try to do it in one scene. They give it like three proper scenes uh, of establishing their relationship before the possession happens. And I think I just was so impressed by the time the daughter was actually starting to have demonic traits. I was like, wow, I actually give a shit about this mom getting the demon out of her daughter. That's hard to do. Yeah, I I would agree with you. The relationship between the mother and the daughter is very strong. And I think that uh, the the girl who plays the the child is really like it. It's a tricky performance because it does have to be a little bit of this like oh like look how cute and like sweet this girl is, which is tough with child actors, uh, especially back then when I think it was just less and hard to do that. But she she toes that line really well and ends up not being too child actor. She's not like. She's very smiley, but she's not doing too much of the like Kellogg's. And she's incredible like, when she's possessed. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Uh, I mean that she's really is great in this. But I, I, I would argue with you. I would, I, I don't agree with your notion that like I, I didn't feel any clarity of the beats of like the oh she feels alone otherwise or oh she didn't like her job. The stuff with the movie, I was like when they did that stuff, like when they show her at her job and they're shooting a movie and she's in it, I was like, oh, this is a really interesting, this is like a big element to throw in. I wonder why they're doing this. Why does this tie in? And like, it's literally is like, I feel like you could replace that scene with any other job. Do you uh, think this was like writers being like, actors are the closest to the devil of any person <laughs> actors yeah, are the maybe. most or who should get possessed um yeah i mean i don't i don't agree with your notion that like she seemed like be- like she's like laughing and like like looking happy on the on the set um if, there's, yeah. there's just a feeling of emptiness there's a feeling that like this relationship is the most pivotal in her life um, I, I agree that this relationship feels that way. I wouldn't say that like those beats are ever clearly defined otherwise to me of uh-huh. like there. And like, like this, I got like, yes, this, her mother, the mother daughter relationship is strong. I didn't get it's strong uh, in contrast to anything else. Everything else. I was like just business. Yeah. I, I, well, I found that like part of what made it strong was just how much you could feel a warmth from her that it's not that mm-hmm. like, yes, she's laughing. Yes. She's close with people. It's like the scenes with the daughter are some of the only times we see her like in medium close up to close up, you know, and that's it's the like directing. The, the directing. So right, strong. Yeah. I, I, I think it's in the writing. I think it's in the directing. I think like part of also in, in relation to all this, I mean, I was watching it and I was just so struck by, cause I haven't seen this since I was 13. My mom was like, this is the scariest movie ever made was how it was introduced to me. Um, and I watched it and was not terribly frightened. It didn't really stick with me much. Um, the only thing I remembered was the ending, which we'll get to in a second. I know you have feelings, but like the thing that I was struck by with this film is how strange it is the ways in which it like mixes like Old Testament Catholicism with like the modern world and kind of like takes those two worlds and butts them against each other. The fact that it introduces 
not your sort of archetypical protagonists in a horror movie. Like usually people in horror movies are every men, you know, every people like they have normal jobs. They live in a small town. Um, it's such a strange decision to have her be like a famous actress. Um, it's such a strange decision to like invest so much time in the priest's backstory and like show him on New York city subways. And like, it's, it's part of the magic of this movie is this demonic stuff is happening in a very grounded, um, almost documentary-esque fashion at times. Like some of the scariest scenes in the movie are they take her in when she's first possessed to the hospital to have her treated. And they have like medical horror in this where it's just extremely long footage of doctors attempting to treat her the classic way. And like seeing like a needle stuck into her neck and the blood start pouring out is as scary as anything with the devil in this movie. Again, the directing. Yeah, I think this movie, it kind of... So, like, when when I see stuff like this, I'm like, why did they choose to do these... Be like, why are the, Why is there... Why does this movie have, like, four four different perspectives it cuts between? Because we, we spend a lot of time with the, the main character and her daughter. And then yeah. we have the main priest, uh, Jason... Jason Miller? What's his name? Jason Miller, yeah. Jason Miller. Nailed it. First track uh jason miller and then we also spend uh the first like five to ten minutes maybe like first 15 minutes of this movie with max von Sydow, and then we have the detective character and then in the last five ten minutes of the movie we shift perspectives fully to this other priest who we spent a few scenes with before and i don't uh -huh. really get why and i look at that and i'm like okay why did they do it this way like what's going on here and then i get to the credits and i'm like oh this is based on a book and it's like, oh, like how much of this? I haven't read the book. I don't know anything about the book. But and the it's screenwriter like, is the author of the book. So yeah, he's it's gonna... uh, it's yeah. So that that complicates things. But yeah, it does feel like it's like, oh, there's there's bones here from a version of this that could maybe be a little more, um, luxurious and like could sit in different like subplots longer to maybe make them say something. I. I, I mean, I haven't stewed on this film long enough. I'm being a little harsh on, you know, one of the greatest films of all time, blah, blah, blah. But it is, it's like, oh, this really feels like one of those classic, like, screen, like, book adaptation screenplays where it's like, oh, I feel like if you were to write this from scratch, like, and you had never read this book, like, you wouldn't write it that way. But that's part of what I'm into with it is, like, the kind of jagged edges of it. I mean, you got to think about where it, falls in the history of film yeah this is like right in the heart of american cinema taking cues from the french new wave and kind of becoming a bit artsier in the face of television mm -hmm. i think it's got a lot of art house dna in it where it's yeah. like there's there's just this strangeness to the approach where opening in iraq that way um and like spending a lot of like documentary style time on an excavation that eventually becomes this like strange, not even scary scene of just like a priest staring down a demonic statue. So much of it is in the filmmaking and less in the screenwriting, which I guess is part of the trend that filmmaking has taken since that time is like, in a lot of ways, film is now as much a screenwriter's medium as it's ever been. And in the seventies, it was, I'd say the director had more authorship in terms of like 
the stylistic approach. Yeah, I, through no fault of this film, I think this film had influenced so much that came after it and conventions had developed and changed and become more formulaic since then that when I see this film do something that was like maybe the first time it had ever been done or pretty fresh, I'm seeing it as it's like, oh, because like I feel like we've all seen movies where like it opens with them finding the artifact in the desert or in the Himalayas or something. And it's like, what's this? And then that's like the cold open. And then you get into the main horror movie and that artifact infects, you know, it's classic. It's Jumanji. It's it's Hellraiser. It's all of this stuff. Um, Did William Friedkin ever consider Jumanji? Did he consider Jumanji? Has he admitted Um, that that's where he got it from? We should talk Jumanji. I've got I've got a pitch. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a fantastic movie, obviously. Uh, but well, you don't like the ending. Let's well, talk I didn't the ending. get the ending. What, why tell did me, we, tell me. so the ending, well, so first off the re- resolution of the main conflict. So like they do all this building up and they're like, we're going to call on Max von Sydow, the guy from the beginning of the movie. And I'm like, all right. Like we spent all this time with this guy. He must be like really good at it. And then, and it's like, we're all building towards like the, the exorcism scenes, which I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like this all takes place in this bedroom with white walls. Like they're going to do like, I wonder how they're going to do this and make it interesting. And like, it is a good scene, but it kind of ends up with them just be like, they put their hands on her and they chant and she does like weird shit. just like sticks her tongue out and stuff. She like throws furniture at them. And yeah, she, but like, she was already throwing furniture. Above the bed. And yeah, but what, I mean, I, it's good. Like, again, like I'm not saying this is a bad movie. I was just like, okay, like, sure, sure. Like, you know, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't like it was a dramatic escalation from what she had already been doing for the last 30 minutes of the movie. Like she was already throwing furniture and stuff. So like <laughs> levitation was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I figured she would do that. Um, and then they, they like take a break and they're like, we must recharge before we do it again. And I was like, oh, we gotta, we gotta do this again. Is it going to be more exciting this time? And then they just kind of do it. Ag- like they, there's a little bit of space between it and then they do it again and like there's some good stuff in there like when he sees his mother and stuff but again i wasn't that invested in his relationship with his mother um and then uh max monsetto just dies like off camera or something and then he the jason miller's like oh no take me take me and then it's like all he has to do is say take me the spirit goes into him and then he just jumps out the window and dies and it's like oh i guess it's over and then we shift perspective to this random guy who, like, we was in, like, one scene where he was, it's like this priest who's like, if I had whatever I wanted in life, I would run a club and play piano every night, and they'd love me. And then, and that was, like, you know, earlier in the movie, and then now he's the main character for the last five minutes, and he meets up with a detective who also didn't do shit this whole movie. Uh, and, like, again, would have been... I, I get it's cool it's cool like I get, I'm coming at this because this is a show about like screenplay yeah, structure yeah. and Hollywood movies and like I think that if you were to talk about this more in a subjective art house way and just more of it is like what was the vibe of the movie how did the film wash over you fantastic but from like me coming at this from this sort of you know as one of Hollywood's top ghostwriters I get called into yeah. script doc if I was handed this script and no one told me, yeah, if you don't change this and you release this in 1973, it'll change horror forever. I would have been handed this script and be like, okay, we got some work to do on this puppy. Like, we definitely <laughs> cut the detective. Why is he in this movie? Uh, and then, yeah, the last scene is the detective being like, do you want to go see some movies? And, like, I liked it, but I didn't get it. Can you explain it? If, do you get we, it? Well, let me just tell you, if, we cut, if they'd cut the detective, 
uh, television history would have changed forever because that detective inspired the character of Columbo. So there's no Peter Falk as Columbo without that character. What? Um, so seems like what Columbus, the detective character is like a broad, broadly a detective. It's like not really. That I think specific. he's broadly a detective because that this movie kind of like set the standard for like this is what detectives are like now. Like this, like a lot. This movie kind of created the blueprint of a lot of the cinematic idea of a detective because before it was like the 50s it was like film noir detectives this is like but i've seen psycho like the this guy felt like the detective in psycho where he's like kind of like a average guy but like you know not i don't know like i didn't i i look i wasn't there maybe maybe this was maybe this bland character was the like just jaw-dropping like they were. It was like when the train came out the screen in the 1910s. People thought like there was a real detective in the room that was gonna ask them to go see a movie. <laughs> I just I love any scene where people say you want to go see a movie because I always like to go see a movie. I do too, but I was like, okay, what are we doing here? What's this? <laughs> what's this payoff to this setup? What's going I, on? I can't argue you because on paper you're right. Like right? there are a lot of setups that are not tied up. It, this would not be James Cameron's version of the Exorcist. Not, script. No, yeah, <laughs> but that's. This, but I think like I and I think a lot of why it worked for me and kind of like grabbed me is, and this is like kind of another thing I wanted to get into with you is like I texted you while I was watching it. This movie's so well cut. It is so well cut. Which is an interesting topic of conversation. I know we're a screenwriting podcast, but like the, a lot of people say like things are well cut when it's like Dunkirk, you know, where it's like very flashy, um, cinematic action driven set pieces and the stuff that made trailer editing, (laughs) the thing that made me feel like this film was well cut. Wasn't even like the exorcism scenes where like, I think people would most classically say that it was literally the first like, 10, 15 minutes of the movie in Iraq where they're just doing this like basic excavation and like what makes it well cut for me, it's it's so hard to describe, but it's like, I think there we had an editing teacher where we went to film school, um, Iris Khan, um, who once said this thing to me that's really stuck with me where she, I was making a documentary at the time about an elderly woman and I needed a cut to a different picture from her life very early on in the doc. And it was a picture of her holding a baby um, like 50 years prior. And our editing teacher, Iris, she paused the movie and she was like, you see what you're doing right there? She's like, you're doing what? A, the, I know the movie's working because I feel like the baby in her arms. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, a great filmmaker, through, especially through cuts, makes you feel like you're cradled like it's okay i'm going to explain everything like just trust me just come along for the ride and there is like this thing that great movies have where it's like it's like acting it's like music it's like any art form where it's hard to put your finger on it but when it's working when a director is cooking as the kids now say like, you feel like a baby that's being cradled where you're like, it's okay, yeah, I'll follow you anywhere. You can do whatever you want. And so few filmmakers, I feel like, nowadays have the ability to elicit that feeling. Like, I think 
I find myself as an editor, I'm working, Sam and I are working on a movie together right now. And like, sometimes when a scene's not working, if I get nervous in the edit, I start to do flashy cuts where it's like the sound starts to build up like, and then it like goes quiet. And it's like trying to do flashy stuff to impress you with the edit. You're trying to do trailer editing when what you really need to be doing is real editing. Yeah. And this movie has real editing where it's just like this, just building images and the movement of said images off of each other in a way that elicits emotions and becomes what is essentially an emotional math problem. Like if I create this feeling in you, then this feeling in you, then this feeling in you, that's going to create the bigger feeling I want in you by the end of the movie. And like, it's really hard to teach. It's really hard to talk about, but like, I do think this film's successes are in the directing and it's why no one's ever really been able to nail it again is because William Friedkin has us like babies in his arms where he's like, yeah, I'm going to start this in Iraq with this excavation scene that has nothing to do with anything. I'm going to have this like detective character that never pays off. I'm going to have two protagonists, which rarely works, but you're just on the ride. Yeah. And I mean, I think that one fully watching the, that first Iraq scene is so cool because pretty much 90% of that whole scene is just, him walking around it's just him going into new spaces just like and then he walks to the cafe and then he orders a drink at the cafe and then he takes pills and it's like why is he doing that doesn't matter ultimately doesn't he takes a pill later on in the movie and then doesn't really have anything to do with anything it would seem uh unless you read the book maybe uh but yeah it was very entertaining and i guess that's maybe part of the issue is that the style again coming at it from a modern sensibility coming at it from the perspective of like if i were handed this script and be like i need like this movie is in trouble like how would you fix it uh not really like and you never know you never can never predict what's going to resonate like how would you ever i mean the 70s were a different time in terms of what audiences would watch we had real adults watching real adult films and not just uh blue beetle it was also uh, like a perfect time where like the country was moving a bit away from its like fervent religiousness, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was going into a bit of a decrease in that. It, obviously we are living in an, a time where that is coming back a bit, but um, it's right a now, last gasp of the world. The world's all lost faith. It's over. It's just <laughs> kicking and screaming it to get its milk back. You know, it's like when you t- take a, it's like when you have to teach a baby or like a toddler to stop using a bottle and they have to go to like the sippy cup or drink from cups. They're like, no, I need it. I need it. It's like, no, you don't grow up. Like stop believing in phony religions. See, I thought you might hate it because it's so Catholic. And no, religious. I love that stuff resonated with me a lot because, well, what's your, so we're, we were talking about this recently, how we're both uh, very Irish boys, you know, Mooney Gorman over here. But uh, I, I grew up doing some a good amount of, like, we were not church on every Sunday for most of my life, but there was a good amount of exposure to that uh, and a good amount of church time. And that's so, like, when they do that stuff in here, especially when the good guys are doing it, there's a certain comfort to it for me yeah. uh, because it's, it taps back into, like, very early memories. And then the horrorness of it all is all very interesting. I like that stuff. I, that stuff resonates with me on a very visceral nostalgic level but what did you weren't catholic were you weren't you a dirty protestant my dad was catholic and my mom was atheist dirty wasp and so the compromise was that i was raised presbyterian the worst one 
Yeah. <laughs> so, but I had to go to church every Sunday till I was uh, 18. Is that the one that's like Catholic light? Like you guys still do the, the stuff? Yeah. And they're like cool uh, gay people. Um, well, Catholics are like too. That. It just, you know, it's not going to work out in the long run, but um, um, I'm just kidding. But like, I think this film, the thing I like about the Catholicism in this film is it's treated as super weird and like, it's like Kingsman like where like there's like this league of all these like priests that just hang out and have sad lives but like are all kind of like in the know about like we might have to get called in to do an exorcism someday and there's like this secret underground life of priests that are all desperate and sad and I do think the film purposefully has gay undertones with them and that's why I think it yes. switches to the guy's per, um, POV at the end is because he's like his he's the main priest's best friend who like they hang out in each other's rooms drinking a lot and like there's a vibe between the two of them sure and a certain love between the two of them yeah so, seems like a good seems like that when that was like 30 pages of a book that would have been explored in a way that was more meaningful than a wide shot don't you feel like the baby though wah, 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 no I'm see that's the, the thing arms. is like going back to your theory of like like, I do. I think that this movie is edited in such a, like, uh, at the time, you know, new way, but now it's, like, a very classical way that makes you feel like you're being led. It feels like a movie that's, like, leading you along in a way, uh, and it's, like, this is all gonna, and I'm, like, oh, and what's this? Like, oh, like, they do, like, close-ups on things, and it's, like, oh, what's that a setup for? It's, like, Hitchcock's rule, like, things like that, and then it kind of, like, it fizzles in a way that isn't even, like, like, I think a good example of a movie that does this similarly from, I believe, a few years later, but I could be wrong, is, like, Chinatown, where, like, Chinatown is very much, it's it's done like a noir, but it's very much edited and written in the same way, where it's, like, everything is, like, a piece of this plot puzzle, and you jump around, you learn a lot of different stories that all sort of culminate, and then in the end, it's super anticlimactic in a super deliberate way that says so much more than, like... I guess, like, at the end of Chinatown, there's not, like, a lot of mystery. It's more, it's, like, you know what's got, happened, but it's, like, it's not going to get resolved. Like, the you know, the great line of, like, it's Chinatown. Like, it's fucked. Uh, <laughs> which is <laughs> to say, you know, don't cancel me for that. It's from the movie. Uh, and I'm not defending the actions of Roman Polanski. I didn't sign the petition. Well, you know, if you check that petition, the podcast two are not on it. Um, now, would we have done it if they pay- offered to pay us our rate? No. <laughs> No. They offered to pay us double our rate. 500 each? <laughs> Dollars? No, 500 we dollars. Never um, we never would We never would have. We never would have. Spines. Unlike all of your favorites. Yeah. None of them have spines. Fuck David Lynch, unless he wants to come on the pod. Um, but yeah, I would say that I guess it's, and I guess maybe that's a choice. I just thought it was so, in- I think it's, again, because it's a movie that is, uh, it's not like an art house film. It's not like a niche thing. Like this is talked about, like Jaws or like Poltergeist and stuff. Uh, And so four hundred million dollars in the seventies, like not adjusted for inflation. That's insane. The Flash didn't make that much money now. Um, (laughs) uh, I don't know if that's is that right. That might be right. They might have needed to get an exorcist hired to get the demon out of the Flash, out of Ezra (laughs) Miller, Miller. out of both Ezra Millers. It didn't go well. It ended up rebooting the whole DC universe. Well, speaking of the Flash, uh, the new exorcist, David Gordon Green's the exorcist, uh, takes some cues from the Flash. 
um, in that it's like, you know what's the way to do a good sequel? You just do two of the main characters. That'll uh, that'll make what? it doubly as interesting. Wait, well, because what? the new Exorcist, here's the twist, Sam. This is David Gordon Green's big idea that got him a $400 million contract to make three of these was what if two girls got possessed at the same time? He did the James Cameron aliens approach. So he came in and he was like, what if we called it exorcists? And he put a dollar sign next to the exorcists too. No, he drew a line through the S. Yeah, exorcists. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, well, let me tell you, I walked into the theater yesterday on a Saturday night and it was not very full. Um, wait, 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 audience... sorry, I have to interrupt. Do you think at first he drew a line to the C in exorcists? And they were, the execs were like, I don't like where this is going. Just sense, that's not much. But then he did it through the dollar, <laughs> dollar sign. They're like, okay. And then he did it through the second S. And they were like, oh, yeah. Let's give this man a budget. <laughs> okay, tell me your story. And they got so excited that their chairs rattling caused the HBO Max servers <laughs> to work even worse. Like their chairs were rattling like the beds in The Exorcist. They were like floating out of their chairs. Do you think that's why the Max website never works is because they constantly have priests like putting holy water on it to try to solve the server issues and it's just short circuiting <laughs> that's I how wanna... they delete the movies that they don't want to exercise I... them out i want to let them know a hypothetical situation that didn't actually happen but very much could have is that hypothetically maybe i had such a hard time using the max website that it literally was easier for me to torrent the movie through like a right. VPN in Nova Scotia or whatever and just steal it. I'm not saying that happened, but if that did happen, I'm like, what are you even doing? What what's the goal here? You're just making me want to do stuff I used to do. I uh I really loved canceling all of my streaming subscriptions because none of them are worth the cost anymore. Um yeah. so hypothetically. Um so, I, well uh, you can I say think, that. No, hypothetically I think what you did uh Sounds like the right move. In fact, it sounds like it's what supports creatives more after uh, certain people's behaviors in the strike. Uh, but going back to Exorcist Believer, um, William Friedkin, the director of the original Exorcist, he had a quote that I wanted to read, which is he said, uh, William Friedkin once said to me, Ed, the guy who made these Halloween movies is about to make one of my movie, The Exorcist. That's right. My signature film is about to be extended by the man who made Pineapple Express. I don't want to be around when that happens, but if there's a spirit world and I come back, I plan to possess David Gordon Green and make his life a living hell. So Coming after David GG. <laughs> it's um and then he did die William Freakin died a month ago. Um and Do I, you think he saw a cut? Do we know? They David Gordon Green said he did not see a cut. Or that he doesn't know what if he did, he doesn't know what he thought of it. I mean, like Ellen Burstein is back in this, Linda Blair is back in this, like it's we're not talking about that movie as much. Basically, the thing that I'll tell you about it is two things. One, it's it makes this, besides the two girls being possessed thing, which isn't terribly, does not make it doubly as scary. Um, and in fact, makes it harder to invest in it because you have to split the time between two families now. And in fact, that takes away from the smartest thing that this exorcist does, which... 
it focuses on the titular exorcist, which this new movie has no like famous exorcist. It's trying, in fact, it's trying to be woke. I think it's trying to be woke when it does this. It has a priest in the exorcist room, but also it has like an African witch doctor. And they work together to get the demons out. (laughs) To be clear to our audience, we're not like some weird like anti-woke. No. We're not like alt-right or dime square or something. But, you know, like when it it is obvious when there's like some blatant posturing to like, you know, from uh, not for like a good idea, but because it would look good in PR or whatever. Yeah, that just sounds yeah. stupid. Not because of the idea of which, but the idea of it's like they work together, they combine in colonizer fact, we're and so colonized. Not Times Square. I'm I there. There's been accusations against this movie, which are true, that the film is like very anti-abortion. I think it's an extremely conservative film. Um, I it makes David me Gordon wonder Green? about David Gordon Green. Well, he's from. I mean, <laughs> let's talk about David. Let's talk about DGG. Can we talk okay. about DGG? So yeah, David I think Gordon like Green. Five minutes. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's go. before we got it, before we got it right, and we got to talk to David Z again. It's been a while since we've seen David Z, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's been a um, while since it was just the podcast, too, buddy. Yeah, uh, we keep st- having these fucking people on our show that do great jobs, and we love them. <laughs> but I'm, a, you know, it's good to be just you two, just you and me, Bubby. Oh, uh, <laughs> my work wife. I, 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 my ball and chain over here. I'm glad I to never... have just one Max on the show and not two Maxes. That one. Yeah. This um, episode comes out before that one, but. Oh, does it? Uh, yeah. Well, stay tuned for the next episode, audience. There's a good one coming. Um, David Gordon Green. So my understanding of his career is he has a really interesting career path because he. Total his, Hollywood I think journeyman. Yeah. Well, now he is, but he started out, he comes from, uh, he goes, he's from South Carolina or North Carolina. He, he comes Carolina. up with Danny, Mc, North Carolina, he comes up with Danny McBride at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts, which we both talked about defecting to from SUNY Purchase our yeah. freshman year because we were mad that they were going to fire someone or that we had never talked to. Um, and we, uh, uh, but he, he makes this movie down there called George Washington that has a couple of, it has a couple actors in it that, uh, the guy who went on to be in a bunch of TV shows, including um, Raising Hope. Remember that show, Raising Hope, about the guy raising the baby? No, I don't. You remember don't remember Raising that. Hope on Fox? It was deep a good pull, show. deep pull. I we've right. talked about so many things in this episode that no one will remember in five years. Like, oh, I can't I've believe got how much I talked about the creator. Like, that's well, no gonna one's get, gonna remember. No one remembers that's Raising already Hope lost now. Media. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I've got I've got one more to do before we get into the writing yeah, of the sequel yeah. too. But David Gordon Green's interesting because he makes this movie that is like, you know, it's I have an interesting relationship with that movie because in high school, my film teacher at like the film camps I would go to showed the movie, and he's like, "This is my favorite movie. This movie's incredible." And it's like the movie about like these like five kids in North Carolina, like it's kind of slice of life. There's like a, they have an accident. In the end, it's revealed that the dad hates dogs because he was raped by a dog or something. Um, and then our freshman year of college, like two years later, our professor showed us the movie as an example of a bad movie. Uh, in contrast, as an to example the... of like lack of specificity in filmmaking, it's like a film about the black experience. Um, in the South, that's like very. It's like Diet Terrence Malick. That whole yeah. movie, like, it's, yeah, it's so, it's so wispy, hands through the wheat kind of shit. Um, but his next movie after that, which I do like, All the Real Girls, um, he discovered Zoe Deschanel. Oh wow! 
um, and the actor who's like the one that got cut from Parks and Rec like a couple seasons in. That guy, yeah. What's his name? He's in it. It's like a romance between the two of them. It's actually quite good. I mean, it's a little derivative. It's like guy falls in love with his best friend's younger sister. So, but like Dana Gordon Green discovers Zoe Deschanel, discovers Danny McBride. Does great um, work on Eastbound and Down and a lot of other Danny McBride projects. Yeah, does he's like the he's like an indie darling. Suddenly switches paths to studio comedies through his friendship with Danny McBride. He does Pineapple Express. He does The Sitter. Pineapple Express. Your Highness. Yeah. I haven't seen that in a long time, but that that one feels like it's like oh, this was directed. Like there's stuff in that that I remember seeing. It was like wow, this is like. I remember seeing that as a teenager, be like, I haven't seen a, a movie like this in this specific way. It's it's you that's know, it's my pretty favorite mo- movie of his, easily, and I could see us covering it on the pod someday. Yes, um, definitely. That uh, would be. But then great. the rest are kind of dog shit. Uh, and then he does. Uh, he kind of goes quiet for a few years and does comes back with Halloween reboot. Yeah, and he's like the like horror guy that like re- reboots. These massive franchises for Blumhouse. I mean, like, I'm so depressed to see the direction Blumhouse has gone in recent years because I thought it was such an exciting, cool business model that they had in the early 2000s where they were, like, essentially their business model for a long time was, like, we're going to make, like, 20 movies a year for a million dollars, and we're going to pick the five that are best and put them in theaters, and the other 15 get dumped to streaming, and all we need is the five to make, like, 20 million or more together. And this worked like gangbusters with things like The Purge, like The Conjuring. Like, this was a really good plan that elevated a ton of filmmakers. And I think they've gotten greedy nowadays. And they're like, wait, we can make money so much easier if we just reboot famous movies again and, like, just put out a couple of releases a year. And, um, you know, it's this this new movie that they did of his, this Exorcist reboot, like, it's bad. Yeah, it's a bad it. movie, and it's uh, it's gonna lose money. Yeah, and movies aren't really making money this year. Uh, well, one more. Th- I don't know why we got excited about David Gordon Green, but I guess it's just good good background info. Just, I think what's important to note is because everything you've told me about this new one, it sounds like the obvious things to do. Like, yeah, they bring in two. It sounds two like a girls. movie we would have done. It's it sounds like it ruled out a lot of things we could we would have. I was watching it. I mean, I frequently watch stuff and I'm like, oh God, is this just what we would have pitched when we only have an hour to come up with something? Um, And like the two girls thing, it's not that dumb. Like it's, but the way in which the two girls thing is not dumb is also the way that the movie is not (laughs) pro-choice, which is (laughs) the movie opens with the main character on vacation in some third world country and never says where with his pregnant wife. There's an earthquake. She gets trapped under the rubble. He rescues her and brings her to like a hospital. Wait, is this the creator or exorcist? It sounds like this the creator. This is the new exorcist. This is the new exorcist. Do they, do they, are they, do they smile at each other? So we know that they have a relationship. They, in fact, they do. Okay. In fact, okay. they do. And it's more um, interesting. They didn't, but then she's in the hospital and the doctor is like, we can only save, you have to make a choice. Do we save your daughter or do we, your future daughter, or do we save your wife? We can't save both. And he chooses his wife and the entire movie is torturing him for that decision because he chooses the wife, but they actually still only save the daughter. And so like the devil the whole time is like, you should have picked me. You shouldn't have let me, you wanted me to die. You wanted me to die in her womb. And it's like, 
essentially torturing him the whole movie for potentially having made the choice to save his wife's life. Yeah, I mean, that's I could see that. I, the, and then another I character <laughs> tells her backstory is that she had to get an abortion, and that's why she's religious now. Who uh, wrote the, this? Was did David Gregory write this? Yeah, with Danny McBride. Oh, they both wrote this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, North Carolina boys, you know. Um, uh, but also, I mean, I don't know. I'd have to see it before I could weigh in on this. Uh, yeah, sounds like a sounds like a ripe for nuanced discussion. Oh, but this is the whole thing. Is like the it's trying to tie in this idea that because the two girls are possessed, it's like. This single dad is the father of one of the girls that's possessed, and this like rich suburban religious family are ha- their daughter is also possessed. And the devil tells them while they're both possessed, like you have to choose one; only one can survive. And so it's like trying to tie into his ghost, his problem from the beginning that like he once was presented a choice and he made the wrong choice, quote unquote. Now will he make the right? Will they make the right choice? It's not. Doesn't quite work. Uh, you're, um, you're you're talking a lot about a movie. I just remembered you said you. Oh no, you didn't walk out of this one. I walked, out, walked out of the creator. Sorry, <laughs> I keep getting them mixed up because they sound. So, isn't the creator got like a fucked up baby, but it's like a robot instead of a demon? Yeah, it's it's got a, be- a better baby, you know, because it's a robot baby, and we love robots. We love uh, robots. You, you like them in movies, and I like them in theme parks. So, and that's well, how we're maybe friends. we'll both like the upcoming Blumhouse feature Five Nights at Freddy's. Oh, god, that looks so bad. Why we gotta do a sequel? Why didn't they Josh Hutcherson? Oh, he's like, who would have predicted he'd get Macaulay Culkin? How much coke <laughs> do you think Josh Hutcherson does? Josh Hutcherson, know. come on the pod. I've got to brush through, through his buddy. body quick because he's fucking 4'11. Uh. <laughs> Dude, 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 what if we get bridge to Terabithia with him? Like, what if he tries to show us a cool spot across a little creek? And I'm like, I'll go first. And then, <laughs> you guys, but That's it, not, our bridge to Terabithia would be he'd like to put out a line of Coke and he'll be like, try this line of Coke. And you'll be like, I'll go first. I got to make sure it's OD not fentanyl. Oh, it's fentanyl. <laughs> but then we shoot it like that scene in George Washington where the accident happens. And like, I just collapse onto the ground because it's like, Doom! <laughs> and it's just really quiet of you guys standing there it's like and you just see me i imagine that i'm doing the podcast still with you but there's like all these fairy tale creatures around while we do the pod now i do it with the fake you because you're dead because you od'd on josh hutcherson's coke this is our bridge <laughs> service you got two sequels in one episode, audience. This is great. <laughs> okay, one more thing to talk about before we actually write this thing. This is so funny, though. Uh, I've totally forgot. I've talked about this movie a lot in life. I might have mentioned on the show once. Um, the producer, one of the producers of The Exorcist, Noel Marshall, went on to do something. He, he you know, had immense success from this movie and went on to do something that is so podcast to the sequel. It's... Uh, it's just one of those things that, you know, doesn't happen in real life, and it's so good. But he went on to – he married Tippi Hendren from The Birds, who famously Alfred Hitchcock attacked her with real birds on camera for that movie. And they bought some land in California and filled the land up with real lions and tigers along with their children. Uh, and he made a movie, uh, which I've told you about, Max. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, one of the only Blu-rays I own. It's called Roar, and it's all about them living with these real-life lions and tigers. 
uh, who's the daughter? And it's Tip, it's it's Tippy Edge's real daughter. Um, she's oh, what's her name? So this is one of the producers of the Friedkin Exorcist. Yeah, the producers of the Free. He basically he took his money from the Friedkin Exorcist and was like, I'm gonna like. He was like, I'm gonna buy a house filled it with lions and tigers and make a movie about how he became like a real life Tiger King. He, yeah, or, but I it guess was that like was a real life Tiger King. But yeah, sorry. Well, go. Tiger King's real life, but Tiger King. I never saw a Tiger King, which whenever I say people are like what I'm like, I don't know. There was it was the pandemic. There was like a lot to watch. Uh, you were like, but there was a lot of J. Owen to do. There, there was, was a lot, lot of, of hey, there was a lot of, I had to make a, the most elaborate Animal Crossing island of all time because to get between get jerk off to sessions. come over. <laughs> Cut that out. Uh, stop that. Um, <laughs> Got to get in 10 pumps a day. Fuck off. Keep my mind straight. The. He, his whole, right, the Tiger King, Tiger King trained the tigers, right? Like, he put them in cages or something? Did he have enclosures? Yeah, he had enclosures. No, so Noel Marshall and Tippi Hendren and their kids. Oh, fuck, where is it? Uh, Noel Marshall. Um, we promise this episode's about the exorcist. We promise we'll get to it. Uh, um, Melanie Griffith, uh, who is in, who's, what's Melanie Griffith from? Body Double. Know. Night. I'm moves, stopping myself from making something jokes wild. How working much I feel girl like you jerked off during the pandemic. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> so they made this movie. They didn't put the. They were like, no, no. Lions and tigers only hurt people because they're threatened. So they had untamed wild lions and tigers with no cages or locks or anything. Are you like a private browser kind of guy? Or are you kind of like if people see my history, they see it? Because it's helpful. Because if you leave the cookies, what difference on, does they it can make? Recommend you better stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes when you do a private browser mode, you're like, ah, oh, it's like it thinks I'm a new person every time. You know, there is a lot of stuff that I feel like slips through my fingers. Uh, the, <laughs> but no, no, no. I it, well, what difference would it make if I was or wasn't? Uh, no matter what, you're gonna just start making up shit about me on the mic. While I talk about a cool movie like Roar, where Tippi Hendren got mauled and she had her back broken by an elephant. Uh, like the elephant picked her oh up and God. thrashed her down on camera. But then in the movie, they reverse the clip to make it look like it's lifting her up and throwing it onto her back. And they play it with a little musical note. <laughs> uh, and the guy who shot at Von Dubont, who, or Jan, Jan Dubont, uh, who Did went on to shoot. Did she die when she got slammed no, down? She, she, no, and then they had her come back and shoot more. Uh, Melanie Griffith had to get facial reconstructive surgery because a line ripped off her face. Uh, the cinematographer who went on to shoot Die Hard, he was getting it. He was really into it. They went through a bunch of cinematographers, but he was the one that was really into it. And he shot a shot where like he was he was hiding under um, like tarps and like fake grass to have a bunch of lions run over him. And the lions started running, and one of them noticed that they were running on top of him and started digging at him, and he got scalped and had to get like all these staples in his fucking skull. And the best part is, is half of this shit is on camera in the movie you can watch. They say in the opening titles of the movie, they're like, because the lines didn't really listen to us, we ha it's only fair that we credit them as screenwriters. Uh, and the movie just falls apart as you just watch people get attacked. We gotta watch it, dude. You gotta see Roar it. So good. Roar, Roar 2. Roar 2. Uh, but I'm yeah, that's so just mad at you. You fucking talked about something so interesting it stopped my bits i was really i was really liking this no bit. that's a good that's a good bit though it's it says something to how good i'm getting at this that because i saw you i saw you were like shut up sam shut up here's some bits about you jerking off low-hanging fruit man uh i don't make those jokes about you and you jerk off at least twice as much as me i bet 
Um, and I don't um, think so. I we should we. I've lived not, with you in an apartment where you didn't have a door. <laughs> I had a door. I didn't have a. Wi- You're getting mixed up. I didn't have a window. You I didn't, didn't have, have a door. door. I didn't, didn't have a door that could get me out of the flood. I didn't have a. I didn't have a, a an airlock. <laughs> We lived in an apartment where Sam's room flooded. FYI, this is some like good, the Titanic. We'll get into it later. The episode's too long. Exorcist to two. Here's story. my pitch. Here's my pitch. So we got to pitch, pitch some. Too. Okay. okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I have a better. Pi- well, you do yours because mine's cooler. So you go first. No, I want to hear yours. I want. No, we, we let, start let, soft. You you jerk off about... less. Start. We'll start soft, and then we'll go to mine. It's hard. You know, sometimes. No, I'm not gonna make that joke. Nope. Nope. Cancel nope. that one. Self-cancel. Nope. Do it. Just do it, and we'll edit it out if it's bad. The contents of this joke were deemed too gross for our audience. Like <laughs> you? <laughs> Good thing my parents listen to the show <laughs> while they eat dinner. <laughs> they pull up the TV to the table, like Back to the Future, like, golly. Um, okay, uh, yeah. Well, let's talk about this. It, it's we're, They've called us to do... The first, like, proper sequel to this. Like, everything else is out the window except for Exorcist 1 from 1973. I know they've made, like, six more, but it's coming from the top. They're like, we got to get rid of all of them because they've all been bad. Can you guys come up with the first good Exorcist? Sam, what's your pitch? Well, I want to first say, uh, I don't think I've told you this yet. I wanted to save it for the mic. But, um... Through some Hollywood back channels, I did get a beta test because uh, of AI and stuff. They were able to basically put their best AIs to work on this. And they've created the podcast to time capsule, reverse time capsule, that um, actually gives us some pretty cool abilities. We don't have to use it. It is experimental. There are side effects. Uh, I don't think it'll be an issue for me. Uh, let's just say it has to do with a count of something, but I don't think I'm going to have that issue. You might, uh, might lower your count if you use it, but won't be a problem for me. You get what I'm saying? So anyway, uh, basically what this would allow us to do is like, if we want to do a sequel that takes place a year after, we can kind of just jump into this time pod and shoot a sequel, have them make a sequel that take, it was made in 1975. So, cause like, I just feel like they, they called us up the studio execs after they got out of the meeting with SAG and they were like, oh, well we couldn't, we couldn't nail it yet, but we need more profits now. We need more. Yeah. So, so back we made to the a future two style. We got to go back in time and give a good enough idea so that we have more money in our bank account. Exactly. Now. Exactly. It's a fat. So that's kind of what they're going to us for because Classic we're not time pod. Class, like they, yeah, and the like, thing is, the new the new WGA contract doesn't allow that, so that's why they go to us because we're non-union. When we 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 don't care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Big point of the strike was like you gotta stop with these time pods. We're kind of like a like a like Blackwater like mm-hmm. mercenaries for screenwriting. Like you know, we do it under yeah. the water. We do it under the, you got a dirty job that needs doing like writing like going back in time to write a bad exorcist sequel we got it uh <laughs> we take no ethics the only difference is that blackwater gets paid really well uh for some reason uh yeah i just found out we my friend from same... high school works there and he's he's doing great we feel the same like when you talk to a blackwater person though and you ask them like what do they do for a living they just kind of stare off into the distance and they're like, they, like dodge the question nothing I, you know, I worked on a show in Costa Rica. 
you know, I worked on a show in Cap Costa Rica where they put us in this like airport hotel near the jungle where we were filming. But the hotel was also full of like all these Blackwater mercenaries. Um, and like, I just like ask them at the bar, like what they do. And they'd just be like, you don't want to know. You don't, don't ask anymore. You, you don't want to know any more than that. And, you and should... then they'd ask me and I'd be like, you don't want to know. Like I make bad sequels to the exorcist <laughs> for 250 bucks. Dude, like, they're like, geez, if I did that, I'd kill myself. I could live with myself if I did that. All right. Like, gotta go to bed. So I can... you. I don't got the guts. <laughs> Jokes on you. When I get up on a high building, I go, Ooh, too, too tall. <laughs> I could use another cigarette. Wow. The big yeah. city. So beautiful. Maybe tomorrow. Uh, okay, Exorcist 2, my pitch is that every other Exorcist movie, I assume, is doing another variation on the devil possessing them. What if, and the Exorcist 1 and more or less, like, the priests are weird and stuff, like you said, although you were talking about it like they were doing some sort of extensive world building with the priests in the first Exorcist, and I gotta say, having spent a lot of time... Like, my, my grandparents are, like, friends with the priests and, like, have them over for dinner and stuff. Like, that's how they are. Like, and they do, they they live their lives like that. Like, they're fucking freaks. Uh, and But I love, it leans into that they're freaks. Sorry, we have yeah, to write, it, though. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Uh, yeah. But what if we do a thing where it's, like, it's, like, no, this time, like, an, it's, like, an angelic possess. It's, like, a interference from the kingdom of heaven. We do, like, a His Dark Material style, like, the the grand uh imperium of the 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 order of god and heaven is like doing something we need to do like reverse exorcist where like you have to team up with the devil to like you gotta enlist an exorcist demon to fight an exorcist angel uh you know you gotta fight the light with the dark to bring balance to the uh exorcist force i am all the exorcists i am all the while they're shooting lightning and maybe they get two exorcists and that does the trick yeah, and they put two crosses up to block the lightning. <laughs> and then she, like, kisses the priest for some reason. <laughs> oh, God, um, I forgot they kiss. It's so stupid. Uh, referencing the, the Rise of Skywalker FYI Coming soon. audience. Um, I think, okay, I'm into And this is actually tied into my idea a little bit. So I wonder if, we, if the two could uh, work together in a way. Because I'm... My whole thing is like when you're making a sequel, like you have to, it's this hard thing where it's like you have to do enough different that the audience feels it's like worth the story being told, but enough the same that people feel like they're getting the same flavors as the original. And um, I agree. There is basically no like nice family that's getting, that has someone getting possessed and then priests come in to rid them of it that is all that different. Like you can be David Gordon Green and be a fucking dipshit and think that having two of them is different enough. It's not. It's you're gonna follow all the same beats again and do it worse. My idea is what if it's like a family of Satanists? <laughs> yeah. And it's like been their dream to have their like they've just they've got a child and they're like actively trying to get it possessed by the devil. And then it happens. Mission accomplished. And they faith. And suddenly it's like a like careful what you wish for type of thing where in the up until the midpoint, they're like, wahoo, this is great. And the devil's like, fuck you. I don't like you either. 
And like eventually they realize like, uh-oh, we need to get the devil. Like we're like, I like it's a movie that challenges their beliefs. And like it's it, it plays a whole different hand instead of like a nice holistic family. Like let's do a family of Satanists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that idea because I think that there's something interesting with Satanists where it's like there's the Satanists that like weirdos like conspiracy theories and stuff fear where like they imagine them like movie cultists but then like the larger and like there are weirdo you know like there's Wiccan freaks and stuff who believe in like their you know their own delusions and get too high and think like but I think most people who would call themselves Satanists, it's more of a political movement where it's more of like a, um, cause like the church of Satan was founded in response to like basically a statue being, I think at the first, it it's repeatedly comes up with statues if I remember, but it's basically made as like a, uh, like if you are going to mix church and state, then we get to make this church and you have to afford us the same benefits you're giving this Baptist church or whatever. And then it, it, it's a very it's often a very successful political thing because no one wants the government to give money to the church of Satan. Um, but I think there's an interesting like what if it's a husband and wife who are both like, oh, I know I knew several of these fucking people like they were punk kids, you know, punk 20 somethings. No, this is exactly what I'm thinking. Like, they, yeah, they, 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 they got married. Like, yeah, they're mixed in with like the hardcore scene or whatever, like the metal scene, like hippies and stuff like maybe like uh-huh. ICP kind of stuff. Uh, and like, but they're married and now it's like 10 years in and like those people, I, a thing I've seen in, uh, just in like adults that I've saw around growing up is there's like, one of them will get really weird and one of them will get like pretty normal. And like, there's what the, there's one where like that, it's basically they meet at like a baseline of like weirdo, like punk stuff. And then one kind of like, it's like that stuff's going way up. And the other one's like, that's going to sort of be always be a part of me beneath the surface. And then they divorce, but like getting them at that moment. And like, yeah, like he, like, I don't know, like the husband or the wife or whatever, like successfully exercises their child. And it's like, what the fuck did you do to fucking baby Jessica? I think they named the baby Damien. Like they were like, <laughs> they like, I yeah. I think it's like the kind of what thing. if the husband the husband's the like less crazy one and he's like I thought we were naming it after Damien Chazelle my favorite filmmaker. He's like no, we're naming it after. Is it a uh, is have they seen The Exorcist? Is it a uh, is it a VHS sequel? Legacy. I don't. What if I the camera the pulls out of the TV? When they're watching <laughs> The Exorcist, they say, "Wow, I love that movie." They should make a sequel. I don't want the Human Centipede two type of horror sequel. I think like they are seventies, like they're just fully ex hippies. I mean, it, it fits the seventies quite well, actually. Like they were part of the hippie movement in the sixties. Now shit's getting a bit darker, and they're kind of like punk. They're tatted up, and they're like. Fuck everything, man. We're Satanists. Dad is like into it for the political reasons you were talking about, but like mom's kind of like really into it. And is like, if God is, they're kind of like the types that are like, if God has let the world come to this, then actually we support the devil because like he's probably got it way more figured out. Yeah, I, I, I'm into a lot of this. Uh, I, there's some timeline of subculture there that I would, doesn't ring true to me yet but i wasn't there we can work with that uh or we can work yeah. on that 
Uh, wait, so, but, so, is this fitting the bill? Like, is the uh, best approach to do a new Exorcist sequel to just broadly take the concept of exorcism and move it over to a completely different world, basically? Yeah, I think, like... what like, makes an Exorcist movie an Exorcist movie? I think what makes an Exorcist movie an Exorcist movie... Oh, that, that's a good question. I, oh, like, in the new one, do they have two detectives that don't do anything? They have no detectives, man. They See, have... that's not a true exorcist. That's what makes an exorcist movie an exorcist movie is they at have least two one. priests. They have and a witch doctor. Wait, they have two and... priests and a witch doctor and a boxing coach. <laughs> the the boxing coach knows the witch doctor for some reason. It's really lazy. He's like, he just bring. He's like, this is my friend, the witch doctor. Do and... they? Does the boxing ever get involved in any way? There's one scene where the dad goes boxing with the boxing coach, and then the next scene of the boxing coach is him bringing the witch doctor. It's, I think Danny and David, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green were probably like about to finish the script and they were like fuck like we got to figure out how to introduce the witch doctor and they're like whatever <laughs> let's have this boxing coach like no one gives a shit they'll eat this schlop up they like the halloween movies even though they were bad too uh that's what's funny is people are, now they're like everyone's coming out with their fangs out for this movie and i'm like the halloween sequels they did also sucked yeah um, but i think they that it's all yeah. the same bag of tricks um, yeah, I think I it's think... like the first, the Halloween movies, they were, in terms of reception, from what I saw from afar, it was like the first one came out, people were like, wow, and then the second was like, okay, and then the third one, they're like, you keep st still doing this. Yeah, like, I think it's yeah. like when you keep doing the same trick again and again, people get I sick think of Halloween shit. is better suited to sequels because quite, like, you're asking, what is what are people looking for in an Exorcist sequel? A Halloween sequel it is pretty much they are looking for Michael Myers to appear somewhere again and kill a series of people before he's eventually vanquished. That's what they're looking for in this. In The Exorcist, I think, tying into what we were talking about earlier, they're looking for someone's loved one gets possessed by the devil, therefore they must call upon a priest. You have to have the scene where the priest comes in and is like... um. What's what do they say when they're doing holy water? Like holy you know, water. How come he scene. came? In, how come he came in and he used the holy water and then he was like, it wasn't holy water, and she still freaked out. And I was like, the devil oh, was what? playing tricks. The devil was playing tricks. Not a defined beat in any way. I would say that I will. I will go to bat and say a lot of my other criticisms were subjective. That was an unclear, poorly executed beat. That was a blat that was a blatant setup fizzle out. That's like one of those like things where it's like, oh, I bet that's gonna come up later. Nope, doesn't. Nothing. Useless. Pointless. Well, we have like twenty minutes to come up with the rest of this. Um so, so the classic beat is that the priest comes in and does the thing. And does it always work? Does it always just do they always do it well, we'll have to rest before we do it again. And then I mean, like, in the new in the new David Gordon Green one, one of the girls dies. It doesn't fully work. They kill not it. that they high kill. stakes though, because they've still got a backup. And they didn't kill the main girl. They killed the secondary girl that we don't really get to know that well. Jesus um, Christ! So it's um, here's I mean, what we the, do. Yeah, the the new movie was part of what made me think of this, where I was because like the main girl is from the single dad family, and the girl that dies is from 
the super Catholic family. And I was like, oh, honestly, it would be somewhat of an interesting twist to have the main character of this be really religious and, like, they have to come face to face with the devil. Like, they think that, like, their priest from, like, their local church can take care of this. They think they can pray it away. And it's like, no, this is, like, at a level of demonic shit that you are not prepared for. Like they're it's they're, they're, like a family has to come face to face with like, do we believe in the devil more than we believe in God at this point? That was in the theater where I was like, wait, wouldn't it be more interesting if they were Satanists, if this was like kind of like theoretically what they wanted and like, and like their whole moral like worldview had to be questioned through this event. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I'm that's... saying like Satanist couple loves their daughter i think that is what's important is like they must love the kid a lot and want to take care of them um and they um that that is expected in an exorcist project you know okay so i'm hearing two angles basically that there's the satanist couple which is one i think that's interesting like they want an exorcist basically and then mm-hmm. they're like oh wait we're in too deep uh, and then, but then there's one where it's like they're extremely Christian or like an extremely Christian person who comes face to face with the devil and realizes the devil's more powerful than God. Like, those are like in a proverbial sense, they watch Jesus get stabbed in the back by the devil and they're like, what are you going to do now, bitch? Like, uh-huh. what's it like to be exercised when the, when God defeated the kingdom of heaven? Um, third angle, what if it's like someone who, Maybe they're religious or maybe they're Satanist or whatever, but what if it's someone who, like, every Exorcist movie is about trying to save your kid. What about if it's someone who fucking hates their kid and they they get an exorcism happening and they're, like, sick? Like, fuck yeah, my kid. They're like, yeah, my kid's really sick. Oh, and they just, like, lock the kid away and they, like, want the kid to fucking die. And then, like, the kid, and then, like, but then the exorcism, I, I mean, I guess my thing with all of these is, like, what are... What's the devil's goal here besides being mischievous? Um, I mean, I think that's part of why it's scary to people is like, what if pure evil existed? What if there was an entity that like is literally the embodiment of evil, of pain? That's part of what interests me about the Satanist couple is like that they're not prepared for the fact that like just because you support Satan doesn't mean he's on your side at all. He's all in it for like torture and for pain and for making your life bad. Even if you support him, isn't this the exact same shit we did for event horizon? Just instead of it being a cult, you've made it like a couple. Oh yeah. We haven't even touched on the fact that part of the reason I pitched doing this episode to Sam was, I was like, we have to address the elephant in the room that we keep sending people to hell and having them face off with the devil. Let's I, this is, this is the last time we're ever allowed to talk about the devil. We're not doing it. We're not doing no. Uh, that's why I was like, what if they have to exercise God? Like, what if it's like, yeah, what if it's like an exorcism of like, it's like the the creator, we'll call him. We won't call him God. We'll call him the creator. The creator is like, man has fallen too far. Uh, I'm going to possess your baby uh, and they are going to become uh, my, oh, that's kind of fun. Like, what if you kind of get like, you have like this like normal kid, like your husband wife, you love your kid, and then one day your kid wakes up and he's like fucking young Sheldon, and he's like, I'm the son of God, I'm here to save the day. And they're like, What? What? And he's like doing weird shit and like starting to like congregate like the masses. 
and they're like, like what's going on he, and they he like they wake up one morning he's like taking his hand and like nailed it to the bed rest <laughs> he's like keeps trying to crucify himself he's like keeps feeding the homeless like they've got all these homeless people on their house and like ew get them out and he's like, I have to take care of those. But then, like, later on, he, like, kills them because they sinned or something. And there's, like, all these dead people in their house. You're like, ah. But um, this – and then, yeah, they've got – what if that – it's, like, what do you do? Like, they go to the church, and the church is, like, in – they're, like, holy shit. Like, it's happening. Like, we're getting the Son of God. And they're, like, where's our little Jimmy? And Jimmy's possessed. Jimmy's turning into young Sheldon. And um, they have to turn to the Satanists. And the sat, but the Satanists, it's it's not like in um, Exorcist one where they turn to the church and like you sort of see the world open up and there's like this like ex like extremely organized society and they call in the guy. This is like real Satanists where it's like fucking freaks smoking weed in trailers and like they get like their expert like their Max von Sydow is like a fucking dipshit who like has a memory span of like two minutes. They're just and putting like, like they're shaking like Delta eight juice on. <laughs> Like let's try to we hotbox Young Sheldon until he has a panic attack. Like that's what they do. They're like shooting him up with heroin to make him go crazy. Like when they like when they're like I gotta take a break from this exorcism. They go in the hall to like listen to some Lincoln Park and like <laughs> let's put and on then, some Eminem. And then yeah, they they have to you have to exercise the best way to fight. They have to get they get another kid to get an exorcism. And maybe we bring back a character from Exorcism 1 or something. We're like, we got to get back that kid. We bring back, excuse me, we bring back that kid. And she's like, I don't want to get re-exercised. And I'm like, fucking do it. We got to get rid of the son Wait, of God. Because so, so we got the only way to fight an ex, uh, exorcism. Okay, oh, listen to me. Li yeah. Listen to me. The only, this is really simple and you won't let me say it. The only way to defeat, it's so simple and you won't let me say it. The only way to defeat... <laughs> A, a possession of the light is with the possession of the dark. So you bring back the little girl from the last one because she's the last recorded exorcism. They get her reinfected. Uh, it's actually not that hard to get her uninfected. You just get someone who wants to die to be like, no, take me. And then they jump out the window in 10 seconds. This actually was a really easy problem to solve. Uh, boom, the end. Okay, but like, you're like, and the family what? learns you're asking about us. No, capitalism. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. I'm gonna. <laughs> you asked me, what are the key things you need out of an Exorcist movie? And I answered some smart answers there. I talked so, about themes and and character arcs and stuff. But like, let's get like to the nitty gritty good. here. Shut up. Let's get to the nitty gritty here. They need to be scary. And I don't understand how this kid that's just like annoying and young Sheldony like that's is, scary. No, he, okay. I don't you want think to... there's any audience for this movie. <laughs> Who wants to watch this? Okay, Christian sorry. people would hate it. You're because you're imagining it, you directing it, and you don't got the sauce like I do. So here's how I would do it. Okay, here's Let the scenes. Um, here's your horse set pieces one he starts yeah like he's so like the homeless people think he's like starting to be the jesus thing where he's feeding all the people and taking care of the poor and stuff and they have to like be like oh that's good but uh we don't want them in our house and then like later on he does like he fucking executes that like he slot you do like a you do that's a ride jesus like to execute the homeless yeah because that's not this isn't about like oh like that's a real christianity we're making a horror movie max like this is about this is about cool shit like it's about where 
it's like so he you is know what's, inhabited so listen, by the devil. So he is inhabited. No, by he's the inhabited by, by, by he. No, he's inhabited by Christ in this world. In this mm-hmm. world, it's not as simple as we thought it was in Exorcist One, where it's like, oh, the good guys are the Catholic Church. Newsflash, Max. Maybe the Catholic Church is evil too. That's I'm what I'm aware, getting. At. I'm aware. Yeah, so I that's was the what I'm getting. I'm willing is... to say it. I was the only one willing to say it in Sound of Freedom too. Everyone got quiet when I said it in Sound of Freedom too. You know, you're you're willing to say it at minute hour and 19 minutes in. You weren't I, willing to say it in the first 10 minutes of our last episode. I think that this is a fundal, fundamental uh, misunderstanding of who I am as a person. You think I was worried about criticizing the Catholic Church? You probably told That's a joke true. that wasn't funny, and we had to move on. Because uh, me and the real comedian were talking, uh, but uh, no, this movie is about it's like it's like Exorcist One is like simple good and evil stuff. It's like the devil's bad and the Catholic Church is good with the power of God. This one, when you, it's like what happens when it turns out God is evil too, and like God, it's okay. Like God is not a good guy. Jesus is not a. What if we have a scary Jesus we see flashes of in this, like? It's like both are both are just like opposing for it's like the Dems and the the Republicans. It's like neither is like really like angel babies. Like they both got some dark shit going on. And maybe like God is like he's had it. It's time for him to take back over his kingdom. He sends down young Sheldon. It's not really young Sheldon. We make it scary. I just think it's funny to call him young Sheldon because we're on a podcast. Um you get a little and, defensive here. You get a little... uh, well, because you got aggressive with me and you said I had no good car idea. And I think that this is, you were like, wait, well, wait, that's not what Jesus would do. And I'm like, sorry, I'm no offending you. No good car your... idea. What do you mean car idea? <laughs> it's from, you know, you have no good car idea. Paul. Oh. <laughs> from like five years ago, I think you should leave. <laughs> sorry, so... I was using some, I forgot how old we are. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I think I think this is this. You you sold me a bit more. I'm a little stressed because we got nine minutes. There's gonna be a broad pitch. We're going we're going broad city over here. You know? Okay. Well, we got the angle. What's the what? What else? Do, what do we usually when? We're always like, oh, this is a broad one. It's like when was the last time we had like a, a beginning, middle, and end? <laughs> we got we got pretty specific on last jet. No, on Rise of Skywalker, but that's because we're fucking dorks. I still heard that one being pretty broad. We never even touched on Rose, uh, but that doesn't come out. Oh, yeah, this episode comes out first. Uh, stay tuned for next week or something. So um, I think. Um, okay, so he's okay. Let's let, let's break this down for a sec. Basically, I want to like figure out. So his dark turn. Like, let's just figure out what God's, this God demon type thing is, um, what their goal is. Like, what's the super villain angle here? Like, so like they come back and they're, um, they're essentially like trying, cause that's Here, what, here's what I got. Yeah. Sorry. You, you want to hear what I got? You, here's my here's idea off the top of my head. Uh, so like we, we, we don't have to show this or explain this, but I think it's like in the dawn of, you know, in the big bang times when God created heaven and earth and the universe and everything, you know, in that time he creates, uh, what's, uh, the devil's real name, like Slytherin or something. Sever, Seb, Satan, um, Satan, Lucifer, well, Lucifer. Lucifer. He, he makes the oh, angel Lucifer. Yeah. God, we're such bad Catholics. Uh, he makes the angel Lucifer 
but and like everything shut up no one cares uh everything lives in harmony and stuff and then he make then lucifer you know does the thing where he falls and becomes evil and so basically like earth as we know it has been this sort of like uh like no man's land between the kingdoms of heaven and the king of earth like locked in or the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of hell like locked in stalemate and like basically like now for whatever reason and maybe the kid monologues about how like the earth has fallen into sin like everyone's jacking off 10 times a day at least and that's like uh you know which isn't that high but still um and then they uh so then God's like finally gonna mount an offense. It's like today's the day I'm sending my guy down there. Uh, little do we know, maybe the devil has also sent out like an insurgent possession. Uh, and it's basically like then this family is caught in between uh, a, a, a war between worlds of the old gods. Pretty good shit. I think, uh, yeah, I, I like. The, okay, I like the idea of it being a really religious family. And in the first half of the movie, I think instead of them being freaked out and being like, why are they young Sheldon I think they should be like, they see evidence that they have given birth to the second coming of Christ. And they are very jazzed about this. And I like the idea of the church getting behind it too. I like the, and I like the idea of there being a slow turn where it's like, it's like this, this, world is too full of sinners or maybe like i mean maybe this fucking kid i think if like god or jesus or whatever were to and like the idea i know these things are more complicated but like the idea of them were to come to earth i think if they came to earth in america they'd be like fuck this country this place needs to burn and like maybe that's part of the horror is like as he starts to see the way that life is being lived now He's like, he's like, why do some people have so much if some people have so little? They're yeah. Like, well, that's just the way things are, little Jimmy. Like, you're going to be a, a little G's. Like, you're going to be able to fix this little Jeezy boy. And uh, he's like, and okay, he's I will. Like, and they're like, well, not like by helping them. We don't like it when you help people. Uh, uh-huh. Here's an idea. Uh, Exorcist 1, we talked about it, so good because the kid starts out and like, she's actually a pretty like good like kid. Like, like you don't hate her. She's like, enter, you know, like a good the relationship's strong. What if this one starts out and like they're a good Christian family, but they've got a little demon child. Like this kid is like yeah. throwing tantrums and stuff. And then one day he wakes up and he's great. And they're like, well, looks like all those beatings worked eventually. And then, um, you know, things go on and then, uh Oh, be careful what you wish for. He killed a bunch of people and shit. Oh, but that's what I was going to, yes, I, and I'm totally, I think, like, he, maybe, like, it's, like, he starts torturing them, essentially, like, they're, it's, and I think keeping it very grounded, keep, I think part, one of the things that works in The Exorcist is, like, it keeps the budget down, is keeping it very in the house. Yeah. Like, they live in this, like, southern mansion, they're Baptists or whatever, and, like, he is torturing them because he's realized they are not living a godly existence even though they claim to be and maybe the big i mean i think we've that we've got like four minutes left i think like at the very least we got to pitch some sort of climax i think um, i think i think i know what that is though that's the well sorry go ahead what do you got well you pitch it you pitch it well i already pitched it's just the idea of like how you you have to fight fire with fire or fire with water they bring in uh, the Satanists. It's like, I mean, it's a whole oh, journey sure. to find the Satanists and to get the Satanist expert who's like fucking sucks at his job. And then they get like a demon girl or whatever. Or like they try to do a, a reverse exorcism. 
Maybe try to replace the boy with a demon. And then the boy does get replaced with a demon. And then the demon's trouble. And then you have the big horror climax in the house. And I don't know. They stab it or whatever. You know, then they're like, oh, take me. And then the ghost goes in and then they jump out the window. It's actually really easy to handle if you just find someone who wants to kill themselves. It takes like 10 seconds. You just say, take me, take me. And they'll just do it really easily. I think the devil was willing to do that in the exorcist because it was a priest. Um, who yeah, was... but did he... Cons- so if... If that was that big a deal, like the priest, he just decided to do it. Though it, it's just such a rushed beat when they do that in the movie. Like he does it so fast. I was like, oh, he has. Does he? Is the priest jumping out the window? Does he have faculties, or is this the devil's goal was to kill the priest? And now, because then it was like, oh, oh no, now he'll be like out or something. And then it's like, oh, he's just that's the devil. So the devil is either incompetent because he killed the priest, but killed himself in the process. Or the devil's incompetent because he infected the priest and the priest was still able to overcome his mind control and jump out a window and defeat him. It's, it worked for me. It's not a screenwriter's movie. I'll say that. It's not a screenwriter's film. I, I, I was watching this movie. It's so funny how we still think we can predict each other's taste because I was like, Sam's going to fucking love this. This has like Sam Raimi-esque visuals i loved all that like i said i loved all the directing and everything about that stuff uh i loved all i love there's a bunch of effects in there where i have like only ideas of how they did it i'm like that is so cool uh i will also say to you you i would say that every single time you tell me like i know how you're gonna feel about this movie uh, and it's either good or bad. It always infects my viewing experience because i like Uh. either my expectations high or low yeah, um, I gotta stop telling you. I gotta stop yeah, telling stop. you. Well, I think um, you know, what the the going to the church, this like we're gonna get a demon child. So, this sounds a little David Gordon Greeny. This sounds a little two girls. This sounds no, 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 no. How about we don't do demon child? How about we just do you bring in a Satanist to do a Satan exorcism? But again, the uh-huh. twist is that they suck at it because like. There's not an institute. There's not a reliable satanic institution, like mm-hmm. contrary to what the conspiracy theorists think. Uh, if you're if you're still listening because you hopped on because of the Sound of Freedom episode, uh, the Satanists are not an organized system. They're not really running things. It's generally a not really a powerful movement. But they, uh, I don't know. They suck at it, and they fuck. Maybe they fuck it up, and like. What if she's like simultaneously inhabited by God and the devil, and they're like having an internal fight within or within their child, and or like I mean I when I was watching I was like this would be I mean it's been done before like from everything from like other horror movies to like kids shows but like possession to me the thing with possession is always like oh and then like when you get it out of someone where does it go and it's like whoops slipped out and now it's jumping around from soul to soul until it gets to the president. Like, what if the demon takes over the other people in the house or something stupid? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think the, um, I think the demon could, I mean, I like this idea of, like, maybe the Jesus kid, they bring in the Satanist, the Satanist, like, he sees through it that he's like, the Satanist, you are no better than them. Like, you are living in excess, too. You are living in American life. Like, he's, uh, I mean, maybe the climax of the movie is, like, him killing them, burning down the church, and exiting, like, God has left America. Like, it's like... Oh, what if, um... Sorry. 
that's cool. That's great. Love that. What if my idea there, we, we lean into this notion of like God created Lucifer as his agent and then Lucifer fell and became the devil. What if this movie, it's like, he, this is a new, it's not Jesus. It's a new angel that God sent down his like greatest angel. It's going to take over and be sort of like Jesus too. And what if the end of this one, he splits off and basically becomes like a third party. Uh, and it's like gray devils. They're like, it's not angels like nor devils. He's like Mr. Freeze. He yeah. Like the devil's in, in fire and he's in ice. He or he's like Mac, plasma. He's like purple. He gets purple infected energy. with the ghost of Santa Claus. Swamp power, swamp elements. Swamp god. Angels, devils, and the swamp god. <laughs> and we call it the exorcist swamps. <laughs> but then David might not like it at first, but when I put that dollar sign through the S in swamp, he's going to be hooting and hollering. <laughs> he's going to be like, we take, the, <laughs> we take the C with the line through it in exorcist and we erase it. We're like, no, no, no. No Swamps sense. has two S's to put lines <laughs> through. <laughs> And the, the T's across, and he's like, hmm. <laughs> it's just looking like the, like, coexist pattern on bumper stickers, <laughs> but for, like, greedy capitalists. <laughs> the coexist swamp, sign on. Swamp is, like, dripping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, writing exorcist with the coexist is pretty funny. We could, we should launch that as a, as a thing to Exer sell. Exor coexist. <laughs> I think just spelling it is pretty. It's pretty fucking funny. <laughs> that Exorcist. is pretty good. That's pretty good. That'll be on our T public. Um, <laughs> I guess this is what we're pitching to David. I don't. Uh, we're gonna. It's gonna I think really... it's whenever. Whenever it's mostly my ideas, you never like them. You never like them when I'm cooking. You it's... never. You know how sometimes they say... All you're ever cooking is hot dogs. Because all you hear, you're just like, let me throw so this idea... Stale, let stale. me throw this idea in the boiling pot of water and uh, leave it there for five minutes, and that's cooking. You know? Well, first I'm off, I use a microwave. Second off, to our audience, do you see <laughs> you how the haters... your hot dogs. I did for my salad the other night. To my haters and losers, do you see how the critics... I like to come I mean, in, sprinkling in some adobo powder, you know? I like you, to come in... You I like season to come in. your hot dog? I, I, no, I don't make hot dogs. I'm saying I'm making, like, a nice stir-fry. It's got some veggies. It's got some garlic. It's got some What are you talking protein. about? You know, you're making... You're making you, you think you can put these accoutrements on your dogs and that they're they're special... What are you making in this scenario? What are you cooking specifically? Making, and why are you talking about what you're cooking? I'm making like uh because my ideas they're like they're like a beautiful stir fry. Name your one. ideas. My ideas that are yeah. like a beautiful stir fry. Yeah, name a beautiful stir fry idea you've had. I think Jurassic Boat was a was a beautiful Did stir fry. Someone say stir fry. I just tried that for the first time. It's David Z. David Z, welcome back to the show. Hey, David. Uh, sorry we were talking about cooking. I'm sure that, I hope you didn't I, come too hungry. I didn't. I just tried stir fry for the first time. I'd never heard of it. Uh, a little exotic, I gotta say. A little spicy, but I came around, and let me tell you, I'm, I'm in good spirits these days. You know why. 
That's the right. We're about to crush the. We're about to crush the actors. They're gonna yeah. fall. Well, uh, I mean, I'm saying about, this. Yeah. To to be clear, uh, this this episode is being recorded on October eighth. I don't know if maybe SAG sounds like SAG's not gonna win, David. No, we're gonna crush them. We're gonna crush them. How are you gonna crush them, David? No more movie stars. No more movie stars. Just Oops. exec stars. Yeah, like me. I'm I'm in charge. Um, what are you guys doing this week? What are you guys writing about? We're helping to do a proper sequel to The Exorcist. We're gonna use the time pod that you got us to uh, take the idea, make the sequel back in the '70s. What do you What do you got? What do you <laughs> What's happening to David Z, Max? Yeah, what's happening? He's. <laughs> Oh my goodness gracious, David, David, are you okay? Gosh, spooky season's really upon us. What the fuck kind of idea are you guys pitching? Whoa. What's happening here? David, is I that you? I'm feeling a connection. Who is this? French bonjour, bonjour. French connection, bonjour. Is Michael Caine, no, uh, is Michael. Is someone making a sequel to The Exorcist? Oh, it's Bill Friedkin. That's me, Bill's my name. Movie's my game. Or William, sorry, sir. William Friedkin. What kind of fucking project you think you're pitching here? We're uh, we're just working on a. Uh, uh, <laughs> this guy thinks he's working. This guy thinks he can work. Hey, I, I, I'm one of the tallest top ghostwriters. Hey, Max, <laughs> Max, can you talk to this guy? This guy's kind of being a dick. Hey, uh, William, FYI, uh, FYI for the audience, uh, David Zaslav has turned into the ghost of William Friedkin. Um, wait, 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 David Zaslav, who the fuck is that? He's the current CEO of Warner Brothers, that's who you oh. want to inhabit, God right? damn it, I was looking for David Gordon Green, I must have gotten the wrong David at Warner. Uh, you should have looked for him over at the pro-life presentation <laughs> that was going on down the street, him and Danny... Him and Danny M were uh, big players there, apparently. Um, well, uh, William Freed, Mr. Freed, man, Mr. Freed. Got him. <laughs> Coming up with some witty bangers here. <laughs> um, Podcast dude, never better. What the fuck are you talking about? What's okay? Well, what are you doing with my signature film? Well. Well, you know, I was trying to find a nice, fun way to subvert it that didn't involve any uh, CBS and I television he couldn't characters. do it, so I did it for him. I did all the work on this one once again. All right, buddy, let's hear what ideas you got to pitch. Oh, that's nice. You don't look like the kind of guy that would burp all the time. You don't look like you got a room. <laughs> you don't look like you're the guy that <laughs> looks like the. Face of Reddit just burped <laughs> on Mike. Shocker. Bill Freak, I can't see what you look like because you're, of course, possessing David Zaslav's body right now uh, for those listening. I heard you had some thoughts about the way I directed my most famous film. I had, yeah, I thought you did really well. I, my issue with the script was with the script and not with the directing or the editing. You didn't write it, so I take no issue with that. You know what I say about my movies? I love people to talk about them minutes after they finish watching them. You, I actually watched it long... You don't know that. You weren't here. What, do you absorb... How How did you know I'm that? I'm omniscient. <laughs> oh, right, you're a ghost. I forgot. Okay, okay. 
So you were floating. So how? Wait, were you floating around this whole time? And you already heard the pitch. I didn't want to hear that. It disgusted me too much. Okay, well but here's the pitch. It's a really good idea. Every time you hit private browser, every time you hit private browser, I've Got been the... there, Sam. I've been there every time. Not a. Uh... But we're not uh, here to talk about your stepsister. No. We're here to Whoa. talk about... Uh, we're here to talk about Exorcist 2. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, Pitch sir... the movie. It's a sequel to The Exorcist. It's like, what if The Exorcist happened, but instead of getting possessed by the devil, you got possessed by an angel. But the angel... <laughs> wait, till, wait till you hear this, Willie. You're going to hate this. You're going to hate this, Willie. You're going to love Sam. this. Uh, the angel, these aren't your usual angels, you know? This isn't little cherubs or things you'd see, like, on Valentine's this, this ain't Cupid, let's just say. This oh, is some I can't wait to hear how much Will's gonna hate this. <laughs> hey, can you not tee him up to be a hater? Like, could you maybe be supportive? Like, we're both trying to get $250 I'm just, here. I'm so excited for you Whoa, to finally this is, with... this is the real script here. Jesus Christ. Look at the conflict between these two whiz kids. Okay, so then, um... Uh, well, I lost my train of thought because dipshit McNeil over here interrupted my train of thought. Fucking great train heist. Dude, uh, great reference to, great to this. Film. Dipshit McNeil. I hate this show. I hate this fucking <laughs> show. What? What show? What? You're Don't on a show about. called Podcast 2, the sequel. Every week so we... Sam was saying that there's a... <laughs> Sam was saying that there's a family Make and it's feel really bad. Every week we make me feel bad. <laughs> you just like ten minutes ago were like we were like I didn't respond to that because you didn't tell a funny joke because I was too busy sitting next to a real comedian. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not sitting in my partner's loving abode. I'm sitting alone with the glowing cat and fuck this, fuck this show. Well, what if you got possessed by an angel instead of the devil, but they're not your usual angels? This, the kingdom of God is fucked up in this world, and they're just as bad as the devil. In Exorcist 1, you know, we turn to the Catholic Church as the good guys to save the day. Exorcist 2, we realize maybe the Catholic Church isn't the force of good we thought it was. So we follow this religious family, Tammy and Jonah, who have a daughter, a son, who um, basically, maybe he's played by the guy who plays Young Sheldon. You ever see that show? It's a big show. I'm a big, big fan of that show. Yeah, so it's that kid for sure. Wait, we can book what? him. He's not. Will Friedkin's a fan of Young Sh Okay, Could keep going. Sorry. Could... Keep going, Yeah, Sam. of course he would like that shit. He made The Exorcist. Uh, so, Bill, uh, uh, the. <laughs> really religious family, Tammy and Jonah, whose names we decided before, and they've got this kid played by young Sheldon, and he's a monster. He's always terrorizing, throwing tantrums, fucking shit up at school and at work and at church and at home. And then one day he wakes up and he's like, good. But he's like kind of eerily good. And at first they're like, oh, this is great. Then they realize he's been possessed by a new angel God's created in the same way he created Lucifer. He's created like Silpatus or something. And, uh... No good. It turns out being possessed by an angel is just as bad as being possessed by a devil, just in different ways. So who do they have to turn to over the course of this film? They have to turn not to the Catholic Church. They turn to them, and they're all about it. And they're like, we won't even try to molest this kid. We, like, love, we love new Jesus or whatever. 
So that's not good because he's starting to like start to cleanse the sinners and he's starting to like kill people and shit. It's kind of getting rapture vibes, but it's all in the house. You know, it's he's keeping it local, low budget. You like that? Oh, you don't care. Uh, and then um, in the end, they have to turn to the Satanists, sort of like the way that we turn to the Catholic Church in the first one, but. Satanists aren't as well equipped as the Vatican, let's just say. And it's a little bit of a struggle. Anyway, in the end, we resolve it with a climax. And what happens there, Max? In the climax, they got to bring it. The um, Satanist comes. He's doing a really bad job at exercising the Jesus out of this kid. Um, and then the Jesus kid eventually realizes that uh, this guy, the Satanist, is full of shit. His Christian family's full of shit. Um, he smites them both. He kills them both, and um, and then he exits the earth um, and becomes a swamp. He becomes the third thing. There's the devil. There's the god, and then there's the <laughs> right. swamp, the swamp man. And uh, we 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 birthed a whole new genre. Look, Will Friedkin. I'm a big fan of your work. I've been a fan for a while. I need you to know. I had no part of this idea. This is all Sam. <laughs> Bullshit. I don't. I take no responsibility for this. So, like, have Adam. I know you're the meanest filmmaker a lot that was ever alive. Let's go. Well, I'm thinking about it. I'm getting emotional that I couldn't be on Earth to direct this project. The Swamp Man? Sam, this is, this is next level. This is... The future of cinema. Congratulations. I'm so glad you stepped away from this other writer and were able to come up with something this good. Will, thank this you. And wait till great. you get this, sir. Check this out. We're going to sell bumper stickers that say, co like, it'll look like those coexist stickers, you know, the ones, but it's going to say coexwamps in I the font. I actually farm. came up with part of this, Will. No, uh, he Will, didn't. Just so you know, like. It doesn't seem like you're the kind of guy that would come up with stuff like that. I no, Will, I actually did play like some big parts in this pitch, FYI. Like I Oh like, playing kind parts. Of all, I I did a lot of huffing and of puffing. All, it all kind of stems. It'll blow from, the whole house down, big bad wolf. All the huffing I mean, and puffing. A lot of yeah, Max. writing with is how ideas writing. You didn't do shit. You made me feel bad all pod. Okay. Well, we should, uh, do I we have to, him. yeah, do we have to exercise him or is he, do we just leave, I guess we're bet the world's better off with David Zaslav being possessed, he'll make it more human, <laughs> uh, I mean, <sighs> David Z, nothing happened. Hey. Wait, what's David's voice? Oh, what a wonder, I'm David Zaslav. Oh shit, did his, the patois come back? <laughs> Here we gotta we gotta Episode exercise two. him again. Let me let me throw some holy water on him. Ah, hey, it's me, David Zaslav. Oh no! I, I heard you guys have pitched a good piece. We got a green light. William Friedkin said he likes it. Is is he back to normal now? What's going on here? I think we gotta throw some more holy water on him. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's good. That's just. This is what I was wondering while we're doing this. Let's talk about it. I never understood why in this movie they didn't just like use a lot of holy water. Seems like that did the trick, but they kept doing like droplets. It's like, just drown them. And I'm back. Hey guys, I'm so glad that you got the green light. My name no, is David Zaslav. not Zaslav. right. Waterboard him, waterboard him. Just dunk his head in the <laughs> <laughs> Okay, David, 
I'm back. I'm back. I'm back with a normal voice. Uh, I have to go home. Just whatever happened here, it's, yeah, just make it. Anything will be better than whatever David Gordon Green's cooking up. Uh, Wow, we got the green light. Bye. One of my favorite directors ever told me David that Gordon I have Green? negative. Oh, no, right. William Friedkin told me that I have negative sperm. Hey, Pick well, it. he said mean things to great directors like Nicholas Winding or Wingdings Reffin. <laughs> I mean, sorry, just... he said great things to great directors like Nicholas Winding. Sorry, he said great things to great other great directors. Yeah, it's it's. Can we play yeah. play the episode out with Drive? Song. I'm good when you are not. How much would you rip on me if I showed up to a party in like a scorpion jacket? I was thinking it's the coolest thing you've ever done. It would be pretty cool to do it now. I was recently. I feel like I'm so glad Drive came out when it did because, like, I totally, like, would have gotten that jacket for real, like, in high school because I'm, like, remembering. It came out in 11th grade. Yeah, but I was old enough then. If it came out when I was in, like, 8th grade, Mm -hmm. it could have been bad. Like, in 8th grade, I saw Pulp Fiction and I got a bad motherfucker wallet. And in 8th grade, I also saw Fight Club and I made my phone case the soap bar. Um, I really... (laughs) I was recently remembering these things. Um, but I'm so glad we got the Exorcist to pitch through. I'm a Huge little win sad for us. that another big person in the film industry doesn't like me. You should try being um, likable. A little screenwriting tip. We try to make our protagonists likable. No, I'm just kidding, man. Maybe if you weren't so mean to me all the time, though, you know? Do you think we were able to get the audience invested in our relationship? Like they get invested in the mother and daughter relationship in The Exorcist? Yeah, The Exorcist takes the path where like you make the mother daughter like get along and stuff and it's good. I think we take the easier screenwriting path where we just make it right with conflict. Okay, well, I gotta go. I gotta go look at some bagels or something. Um, this has been another episode of Podcast to the Sequel. Please remember uh, to rate, review, subscribe, um, share us you know, with your friends and family. Any, any, any aspiring screenwriters in your life, send them our way. They could learn a lot from this show. Keep sharing. Thanks for listening. We're doing great. I've never been better. Uh, this is Sam. This is Max. We're the podcast two. This is podcast two, the sequel. Signing off. Bye bye. Do 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 do. Do.